Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about the big short. I look for value wherever it can be found. And the fact is that these mortgage-backed securities are filled with extremely risky subprime adjustable rate loans. And when the majority of the adjustable rates kick in in 07, they will begin to fail. And if they fail above 15%, the whole bond is worthless. Michael, just take, take, take a beat. We'll talk about this later. Lawrence, okay? please don't patronize me. If it, Mortgage-backed securities, it, it, subprime loans, tranches. It's pretty confusing, right? Does it make you feel bored or stupid? Well, it's supposed to. Wall Street loves to use confusing terms to make you think only they can do what they do. Or even better, for you just to leave them alone. So here's Margot Robbie in a bubble bath to explain. This is an American historical biographical crime ensemble cast black comedy drama directed by Adam McKay. The cast includes Ken, Dick Cheney, Michael Scott, Kendall Roy, world-famous chef Anthony Bourdain, Benjamin Button, Alex Russo, and Barbie. I watched this movie on YouTube for free until I realized what I was watching, and then I went and rented it on Amazon. Joey, how did you watch this movie? I stuck through it, even though I noticed it yeah, pretty early on. Uh, I also watched it on YouTube, but I'm like, it's free, so I'm going to bear it. But I, I sort of regret it, honestly. I really do. I think you should regret it. I, I watched this movie for about 30 minutes before I realized it was censored. When I heard them say, dog stuff. Yeah. He goes, so basically, uh, these things are dog stuff. And then these <laughs> things are uh, dog stuff wrapped in cat stuff. Like I was like, okay, <laughs> this is not right. Because I, like, I realized halfway through it that they were being censored. And I was like, oh, is this some sort of bold commentary on like use of language is like their concealment of what they're really saying trying to give us an example of how like wall street shrouds what they're doing behind no it's not that it's just youtube (laughs) making a stupid choice um and i think that's i think it's really dumb like why censor a rated r movie yes like (laughs) it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense and it really it really distracts you know it's not like you know, I think other movies, perhaps, you know, you have a character that curses a lot and you can get the idea of what they're trying to get across without it, you know, having that potency. But the script is very tight of this movie and the cursing adds a lot of the feeling to it. You know, when what's his name walks into the room and says, uh, Mark Baum tells you guys to fuck off, you know, and then he says, screw off or whatever. He says, get out of here, make like a leaf and get out of here. It's, it just takes a lot of that like energy and a lot of the uh, passion out of it you know it really like dilutes this movie's uh tone agree i feel like is uh you know, very much a disservice to it so i can understand censorship in some cases in this case i think it detracts from the experience of the movie severely it is honestly confusing sometimes during Margot robbie's explanation of subprime mortgages she says when you hear subprime think shit but in the censored version, she says, think sick. And sick can be taken in two ways. Think, sick can be like, sick. Like, these are sick subprime mortgages. But no, she, she, so that's like, 
it, honestly, I didn't get it the first time I watched it because of that. So um, watching it on Amazon, thankfully Amazon had it. But again, this is we always go back to this. Physical media is better. Right. They can't come and censor your DVDs or your Blu-rays. Uh, at least they can't yet. They can pry those DVDs out of my cold, dead hands. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> come and take them. At this house, we don't call 911. <laughs> <laughs> We watch movies instead. Well, so, I mean, I don't know if anybody listening to this is thinking about rewatching it. It is free on YouTube, which is a hard price to beat. But my recommendation is watching it the original way uh, because I think the crassness of the film is is very intentional and, and really adds to it. So that's how we watched it. Let's uh, move on to our synopsis, recap the events in this film. Uh, this is a synopsis that Joey wrote himself. So we'll let him start. In 2005, the financial savant Michael Burry noticed a troubling trend. The housing market in the U.S. was nearing a catastrophic collapse. Burry, whose job was to manage a large hedge fund, took advantage of his knowledge and invented a new way of shorting the housing market. This was represented as a $1.3 billion bet that the housing market would collapse. Given the stability of the market, the banks were happy to take Burry's money and considered it a long shot but others weren't so sure. Two other groups of people got wind of Burry's bet and decided to investigate for themselves. They found that the entire system was built on greed, lies, and failing mortgages. The first group was Front Point Partners, a hedge fund managed by Mark Baum and his small group of collaborators. They worked with Morgan Stanley, but were a separate entity. They were contacted by Jared Vennett of Deutsche Bank on accident, but Jared convinced them that the housing market was about to collapse, and the Front Point guys bought in. Mark, whose brother committed suicide, was a self-righteous banker with a short temper and a big mouth. He could not stand injustice in any form and wasn't afraid to voice his opinions. As the investigation into the housing market goes deeper and deeper, Mark becomes more and more incensed. At a Las Vegas convention for securities, he learns about synthetic CDOs, which are essentially bets against bets against the housing market. The whole thing can be overwhelming. To help sum it up, I have Arnold Schwarzenegger here to explain it. These CDOs and synthetic CDOs look like healthy, strong assets, but they have been skipping leg day. Many of the mortgages that make up the CDOs are positioned to fail. The mortgages have variable interest rates, which means the payments that are due can skyrocket unexpectedly. Imagine you are working out. You are lifting a heavy barbell when suddenly someone drops a huge extra load on your rack. What was manageable is now impossible, and you could get crushed by extra financial weight. This happened to millions of Americans. But wait! The bank does not want you to fail to pay your mortgage. Aren't they supposed to check whether you are able to fulfill your obligation? Yes! but the rating agencies that approve mortgages were lying about the quality of their products. Imagine, you ask your spotter how much weight is on the rack, but he gets paid based on how much weight you lift. He has been lying, saying you can lift so much, but the truth is you can't, and then you get really hurt. Thanks, Arnold. The third group of investors that short the housing market are a couple of young men straight out of college, Charlie Geller, Jamie Shipley, and their ex-banker friend, Ben Rickett. Together, they bet big and hard against the housing market, even against CDOs with high ratings. In 2008, when the shoe finally drops, 
the big banks engage in a shell game, hoping to offload their terrible CDOs onto other banks before they realize how cheap they are. What results is a global economic collapse. So much money was tied up in CDOs and synthetic CDOs that entire countries couldn't pay their bills. And although each of our characters becomes insanely rich, they never expected things to get this bad. Unfortunately for the rest of us, no engineer of this system, no banker who led their company to ruin, ever got punished. Instead, the rest of us continue to foot the bill. The end. There you have it. The events of The Big Short brought to you by Joey's uh, you know, writing of the synopsis and friend of the podcast, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger. dropping Thanks in. Thanks for stopping by, Arnold. Thanks, Arnold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Do close the door on your way out. Uh, so we'll begin our analysis with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about The Big Short? I think this, makes, this movie makes a very dry subject very entertaining. Um, and it also gives a depressing reality somewhat of a silver lining, right? It shows some people that actually won in this terrible system, which I think is, uh, you know, interesting way to highlight it and makes it feel like there's something good that might have come of it. Um, so there's some really standout, powerful moments, often when you least expect them. This movie is quick paced, easy to follow, but it doesn't shirk away from the complicated stuff. Every time I watch this movie, I feel like I'm learning and understanding more. Um, and Christian Bale is just amazing. He is the best actor working today. He just, any movie he's in, he just transforms into the person that he's portraying. And he is so easily becomes Burry. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Christian Bale is amazing. And it's just this cast, I don't care what movie you're making, telling me that you've got Christian Bale, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, and Brad Pitt in a movie together is incredible. It's a little bit... I wouldn't even say it's disappointing, but like, I guess on initial watch through, I'm like, dang, wait, they don't even really meet each other. Like some of these characters don't like, (laughs) you know, Christian Bale's on his own the whole time. Um, But that doesn't matter. They're all, I think they all provide a really great uh, performance. The supporting cast of men also uh, provide a great uh, performance. I mean, enough Barbie back to just movies that only have men in them. Am I right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) Uh, But no, but seriously, I do think this is a really uh, loaded cast. I love Adam McKay's editing and this movie does a lot of very nostalgic uh, early 2000s pop culture injections that I think help to get across this idea that this is a very American crisis. uh, and, And it's like, it makes sense that it happened when you look at our culture in retrospect. Uh, and it is a consequential subject matter. This is an important thing that happened. And like you said, this movie is it's educational. And I think that's important as well. It's this movie informs on something that honestly, you know, I think they appropriately uh, expect you as the audience to have like some sort of sound bite you've memorized, but that yeah. doesn't really come with an understanding so i think they they try to connect those dots for you i love the way that these storylines are all interwoven uh kind of on top of each other it helps us to appreciate everything that was going on from multiple perspectives and it ended up being way more tense than i was expecting like i knew what was gonna happen but it still was able to keep me on the edge of my seat which i i thought was uh, really something you have to do to make a uh you know a historical movie like this i mean not that long ago we watched oppenheimer and it's kind of the same thing you know that the bomb is going to go off spoiler alert right. but how do you make that more interesting i think that's accomplished in this film 
So those are the things we liked. Let's uh, talk about some of the things we didn't like. What are the cons for you on the big short, Joey? I think the meta stuff, uh, it makes my eyes roll. I'm not a huge fan of people pointing to the camera and being like, this really happened. You know, it's kind of annoying. Um, I think Steve Carell's voice that he puts on for this movie is uh, also annoying. Just like the... Yeah, and this is why we have to, you know, <laughs> how can you bear to treat your customers this way? Is I don't know. It's just not. It's not my favorite. Um, and it really sucks that this really happened and that it's still happening. I think I, this is the third time I've watched this movie, and this is the time when I felt like I was most dialed in, and I was also the most upset at the end. You know, I was like, oh, wait, it just ends there, right? And now we're just living in it, right? There's no, there's, there is no happy ending here. We're, we're just, it's just over. And now well, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the sequel is my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely was like sitting there like uh, with no expression on my face as the camera like slowly got closer to me as I realized that there is no catharsis and the, uh, right. the people who are wrong would never be punished um, kind of the ending of American Psycho, but happening in my life. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I won't defend Steve Curl's voice because I, th- I thought it was annoying, but I I liked that he was so different from Michael Scott. I yeah. think Steve Carell is Michael Scott, and having his voice be different helped me to stop seeing him as literally Michael Scott because I've watched The Office too much. Anytime he does a Michael Scott ism, I'm just going to see it as that. And I appreciated yeah. him kind of um, being able to get away from that, even if it did mean his nasally voice was was really annoying. Um, <laughs> My cons for this movie, the I think the celebrity explanations could have been clearer. I know these are some pretty dense topics, but I feel like the celebrity explanations lean more towards, hey, look at who we got to do the explanation versus, hey, this is actually a really clear way to make you understand what's going on here. So I, I liked that the second two were more like using the scenario the celebrity was in as a proxy for whatever they're explaining. Like the Margot Robbie one was also just her saying it, but at the same time, I get it. I get the point. They're they're trying to push us. To, they're like, hey, look, now we're making it as flashy as possible, so you'll pay attention. Yeah. But again, I I feel like it could have been a little bit more on the enlightening side as opposed to just being funny. And then I agree with that. And then finally, Brad Pitt's motivations. What what was his character like trying to accomplish? I get his under like his viewpoint on the financial system, but I was. I had the same question at the end as to like, why did he help those guys get rich? Um, And maybe that's something we can get to the bottom of in this, but I I felt like they did good on the characterization with our other lead men in a short amount of time, not really given that much. We're able to build them out in a way that I thought was uh, engaging. But for Brad Pitt, I feel like they they didn't get all the way there. Yeah, I agree with that too. I, I mean, they were implying that they needed what? Um, two billion dollars to get one of those like um, forms or something, and they call up one guy, and he happens to have like the extra cash, or or what exactly? What kind of pool does he have that he's able to get this like this extra document, the ISDA, right? Yes. Uh, does he really just have like a billion dollars just sitting like waiting for someone to like ask him to use? You know, just laying around, willing to invest it. Just seems like a um, I don't know. Just doesn't really seem to make sense to me. Um. Yeah, but maybe it's true. Maybe that's maybe that's how it is. But then I feel less sympathetic for him, you know, that he like 
made it all the way there and then decided to quit. You know what I mean? Right. I see. I, I don't even, I wasn't even sure that it was that he had that money or more if it was just that he had connections that allowed him to get around that limitation. Right. But either of those things would have been, would have flushed him out more, right? right. Would have given him more something, something to the explanation would have been welcome. I think. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, those are our pros and our cons. Let's really get into it in our overall section and i'll just reiterate this movie was way more suspenseful than i expected i was stressed out i was feeling it wasn't quite at the level of uncut gems but (laughs) i was still very uncomfortable watching this movie which i thought was good i again i was like these guys are all about to make it rich but i didn't know that the kind of cdo shell game had happened where all these mortgages are going bust but the uh the value of the bonds for those mortgages was going up. I didn't hear about that. So I thought that that was a really interesting and engaging um, kind of twist on it. And um, it just, this movie really got me riled up about all these money hungry demons that are willing to look past the suffering of everyday people as they continue to get rich and don't really worry about the consequences uh, or, or really care about it. Right. I mean, it's it's so interesting when you know when Steve Carell realizes just how deep this goes, right? And and he sits down with his wife, and she's like, "You've been fighting against the system for so long, or whatever." And like, there's this realization that nothing he's ever done has ever mattered. You know, like no no stance he's ever taken, no moral you know high ground he's ever gone to has ever mattered at all because the depth of the depravity that he is dealing with is so obscured and and so deep that um simply one person like making a stance is just a drop in the bucket um it it does not matter at all it is tears in the ocean or in the rain it is it's amazing to 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 realize that like oh like uh this whole system is built off of this greed that like permeates the system to the point where it's not even people thinking that they're being greedy as much as they are just, you know, quote unquote, playing the game or whatever, right? Just trying to stay afloat among a bunch of other big fish that are also pushing each other to uh, be even more uh, greedy and, um, you know, unscrupulous, right? And then for none of that to matter at all, right? For all of that to collapse and then them to never feel any sort of burden from it, right, and just get bailed out from the government is this extra twist of the knife that is, uh, you know, brings, really indicts everything, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's just Wall Street. It's like, no, it's actually the ratings agencies. Oh, no, it's actually, like, all of, like, the banks. (laughs) No, no, it's actually the U.S. government, you know, like, (laughs) nobody is safe from the tentacles of this problem, and uh, it's just amazing how much all of that like came together to fall apart all at once yeah he agreed and steve carell's character for me at least was almost like a um you know a a surrogate for the audience like you're in there i I mean i agree with a lot of his things where he's like hey why is this bank charging all these overdraft fees like after like the only after the 12th time that they overdraft do they even notify you that you're getting fee like all these fees piling up on you and you're like that's bullshit like uh, we you can't do this to people but he spends all this time and like you said by the end realizes that there's nothing he can do about this even though he was able to pull off this big short and make a bunch of money off of the bank's negligence it doesn't actually mean anything in the end 
Like uh, right. that final shot of him on the rooftop where he decides to sell, I thought was really powerful because even though he quote one, and especially if you're just looking out for the bottom line of the investors in this film, you're like, he did win. He sold, he made a bunch of money, but he lost because he realized that this is never, he will never win this battle. These things that he's passionate about are, will have these, uh, it's just a conflict that cannot be, uh, one from his side. So I thought that was, yeah, really powerful. It's, it's this classic dilemma when you're working in an evil company or for an evil system, right? You can either continue to work there and hope to change it from the inside, or you can leave, right? And it's clear that Mark Baum thinks that he can change it from the inside. He thinks that if he can enact some sort of moral banking or moral system to the banking industry, and that will have the effect that like of creating a you know an island in a sea of desperation um but that's not true and yeah you're i that part really stood out to me every time i watch this movie something stands out like really brightly to me and that moment on the on the rooftop was it for the for me this time and it was this you know realization that if he sold it's an admission that the system is as bad as he's always expected right there was this idea that maybe just maybe um, he would be able to, uh, like this wouldn't, this was, wasn't really, this wasn't real, right? This was, was, was something was going to happen that was going to keep this from being real. And it was this, you know, conflict between his heart and brain in a way, right? Where his brain is telling him this is a smart financial move to bet against the bank. But then his heart is saying like, this is an awful thing if this, if I'm right, you know? And for him to hesitate so long to realize like, by selling out here, I am just another cog in this system. I am just another part of this problem, right? I am, uh, although like I never did anything wrong, I am part of a system that cannot be reformed um, from the inside. Uh, yeah, a powerful moment. Uh, well acted by Steve Carell, I say. I, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, because we had these four you know, A-list guys, I was tempted and, you know, I fell for that temptation to rank them based on their performances in this well, film. Let's, let's hear so it. So let's go through <laughs> that right now. Steve Carell, I think we've already covered. He comes in at number two. I think that okay. he did really well. And I think we've, uh, you know, established that in uh, our conversation so far. But let's talk about um, number one. And I think that it's Christian Bale the investment savant, the Nostradamus of this film. You know, he, he's the one who saw this coming from miles away. And I really appreciate the characterization we got for him. This kind of, you know, he it grew up with a glass eye and that isolated him from the world. And then his ability to identify this incoming market crash ends up isolating him in a very similar way from all the established connections he had as this uh, investor. You know, everybody who he represents hates him. His superiors hate him. And nobody will talk to him unless they have a lawyer. Even present. his subordinates doubt him. And yeah, you know? these freaking, <laughs> these kids, you know, not even wearing a suit or looking official coming in here be like, maybe you're just wrong. Uh, where do you get off, buddy? But um, I, I thought that that worked really, really well. Um, and I think that it goes even further to kind of reinforce this idea of uh, people who are willing to see past uh, evidence to believe a narrative 
that has always been established to to um, ignore reality and to continue to see something that comforts them. Yes, it's amazing. I I, I think what's there's so many things that are unbelievable, but one of the most unbelievable things, um, not because I don't believe it happened because I do believe it happened, but just that it's almost inconceivable to realize that this is how it works. It's just how much group think played a role in this financial collapse, right? How much everybody just didn't want to believe what was there and how everyone was just sort of skating by on this idea that everything was fine and we can just make these assumptions. Even though all of these guys, like what their dream is, right? If you go on Wall Street Bets or any other like, you know, retail investor type situation, like uh, community forum, their dream is to do what Michael Berry did here, which is notice something that nobody else has noticed, right? And take advantage of it and make a ton of money off of it. This is what everybody wants and everybody's always looking for it. And yet this, that is the ocean that we are swimming in. And yet it doesn't matter. It does, like it, all these people that are, their jobs are to watch these things and pay attention to these things. All they were doing was just kind of you know checking the boxes and being like everything's great. I love making money, and there's no reason I'm never going to make money anymore. You know, like it's <laughs> it's crazy how how much that played a role and how much they like this established feeling played a negative role on. Michael Burry's like uh, life, you know, how he was almost ostracized, you know, like all, all his investors almost pulled out. I mean, he lost a ton of money in the process, right? I mean, he was down, what, like 19%, which is pretty insane. But then um, to make that incredible return in the end for him to be so right, um, you know, just validates him in, in such an amazing way. Um, yeah, I, I thought Christian Bale's performance here is really incredible. He just totally acts completely differently um you know he has this strange demeanor to him and but it's like this kind of softness too um it's very um it has this uh feeling of authenticity and of um you know not pity but like pathos i guess just like you want you care for this guy you want to see him win and um it you don't see him as a bad guy. And uh, even though he sometimes says things that are, you know, off kilter, it's understandable and forgivable and sort of makes him more endearing. That's what I'm looking for, endearing. Um, he was, yeah, so I, I thought he was incredible in this position. And to see him go through this arc of like, oh, like, it's obvious to, to everyone. It's like, why is everyone upset with me? And then, like, even having this kind of moments of self-doubt being like, oh, geez, like, what have I done to myself? What have I done here? You know, have I really screwed myself so much? But, like, it doesn't make sense. Why is everyone saying one thing when the, ov when the evidence is saying another thing? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's something uh, uh, pretty uh, incredible. And then I loved when he was, uh, when he corrected that one guy, like one of the lawyers, right? He's like, he said, he's a, he's like Dr. Bird. Yes. Actually. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like uh, actually I do know what I'm talking about here. Uh, was, was, uh, you know, a little moment of, um, self-recognition that I felt was, uh, well, well worth it. I agree. It, the performance does come across as authentic, especially when you know that Christian Bale spent time with 
Dr. The real Dr. Uh, Michael Burry and, you know, tried to emulate him in the role, obviously. So I, I think that it, again, just shows Christian Bale's acting chops to be able to just become another person and yeah. uh, and then get us to care about that person like they're real. So, yeah, I definitely think he comes in at number one amongst our uh, lead men here. Uh, like we said before, Steve Carell, for me, is number two. Any objections there? Uh, no, I, although I don't like his voice, I, I, I liked him. At, I like Mark Baum, the character, a lot. You know, I strive to be Mark Baum in my everyday life. Uh, annoying, um, <laughs> uh, pedant, uh, you know, um, uh, in, uh, sincere and um, unapologetic. Yes, uh, those, are, those are goals for me. Uh, when I see an uh, older man in a position of... Um, tiny like with with a shred of power uh you know really uh you know bitching a lot i see myself in uh, 30 years (laughs) wow well great okay so we got one and two now let's move on to number three and for me it's it's ryan gosling our narrator he's savvy he's a better banker than the other bankers he made a really smart investment and he got a big payout at the end and we're not supposed to look up to him you know he's a product of the system that he's a part of he's just Another guy in a fancy suit who figured out how to turn some money into some more money. And it's true. <laughs> like if you contrast his kind of uh, the way that we see him in the film versus the way that we see Michael Burry, Michael Burry is, seems more like a, just a, you know, a person versus this guy who's like, I exist as kind of like a personified a wealth. Yeah, like yes, I, am, exactly. I am a bank. Like when I get my, like somebody to give me more money, I'm thrashing around and yelling in the gym. When I yeah, yeah. am under fire, from all these people who are mad at me because you know things aren't making sense they're supposed to be getting their payout now and it's not happening am i do i look worried no i'm like deal with it because this is banking this is the world you're in and um i think honestly that that i i loved having him kind of on on our side because it kind of reinforces this idea that everybody even if they're going against the banks is part of this system they're shaking hands with guys like him and also he's ryan gosling and i love ryan gosling so that's another reason why i liked him i thought he was great he He comes in at number three yeah i like the way he uh abused his subordinates um especially the uh uh, what's it? The Asian guy that he brought in and was like lying about his name and his accomplishments and whether he spoke English or not. Uh, <laughs> everyone else in the room was really uncomfortable by like this, these racist remarks. Yeah. Uh, that was hilarious. Um, yeah, he was, uh, he was, it was an interesting character because he wasn't really at the heart of this so much, right? He was one of the first people to discover Burry's bet and to wonder if he was right, right? But otherwise, like, he wasn't one of these, like, crusaders. He wasn't someone that was, you know, really doing the work necessarily. He just happened to, you know, for me, he's, like, doing his job in, like, the most literal sense, right? He notices something, right? He takes up and then he investigates what that means and comes to his own conclusion, um, which is what I would expect all of these guys to be doing all the time. But it's only him that ends up, like, actually doing that, so... Um, yeah, even though he is the one that's like least sympathetic, I think he is, it is still satisfying seeing him win at the end and for him to be right. And I'm not that upset with him when things don't go right, right? When, when the, when the market continues to rise, despite all the evidence to the contrary, and he's like, 
you know, we made a deal, guys. Like, I was like, oh, no, he's still right. Like, I still trust him, even though it looks like he's he's screwing them over, you know? Yep, yep. So, yeah, I um, I don't know. It was, it was impressive, I guess, to, like, thread that needle um, in a way. Yeah, and even though I don't love his hair, that, like, that color <laughs> his hair was strange yeah his it kind of looks like when creed in the office uses all the ink in the printer to, to <laughs> make his hair black so he Color's could hair. look younger <laughs> um but okay so that's <laughs> one two and three you know just to recap christian bale steve carell ryan gosling and now number four brad pitt and i think we've already kind of like talked about this a little bit but I, I struggle to understand his motivations. I don't know why he's involved in this and helping these two young kids. They literally ask him why he did it. And he's like, well, you guys said you wanted to be rich, right? And it's like, okay, I guess. That's not like a great answer, is it? It doesn't tell me anything. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that you're not coming back at me like, yeah, you missed it. It's, it's clearly this good thing. No, I have no idea. Yeah, so, okay. But what I will say is Brad Pitt is one of the most recognizable Hollywood movie stars in my life. And he does a good job of kind of melting into this role. He seems like this kind of mysterious crotchety old guy and not necessarily just Brad Pitt being smooth, suave, uh, you know, movie star guy. When I, I watched this movie a few months ago, maybe it was last year. And, uh, the part that stood out to me the most was when, Brad Pitt uh, comes down the escalator in the airport with his mask on. Oh yeah! And I was like, first of all, he like he like nods to another guy that has a mask on. He's like, yeah, you you get it. But to me, this symbolized, especially at that time, right when lots of people were wearing masks. Well, I, actually, lots of people weren't wearing masks, but we all should have been wearing masks. Um, he came across as the most like the smartest guy in the room. Um, in a way that was like very unapologetic, right? He comes down with this sort of paranoia, right? That's represented by the mask. Um, but in in a post COVID world, people that wear masks in public, especially on airplanes and stuff, are some of the uh, wiser people, I would say, in our in our world. You know, people that would uh, that understand the risks that are ahead of them and willing to take the uh, social hit. In order to um, you know come across as more um, or the comfort hit even uh, to come across uh, or to protect themselves from whatever danger may lurk around the corner. So um, having him wear the mask in the uh, airport, uh, especially in the, since this movie came out long before COVID was a thing, makes him seem even more prescient uh, than he does in this movie. Uh, so I I was I thought that was a really great. I maybe it's a uh, what costuming choice? I don't know. Yeah, uh, wardrobe really great, uh, went off with this. Yeah, one. cut choice uh, for this for this character, um, and paints him in a really really great light. I think there's um, some guy yeah, in wardrobe I, who's like, believe me, the believe the me, mask the economy is about to like totally take off. <laughs> and it's like, we invest now. Yeah, you, you have futures in masks. <laughs> I do. Um, he's yeah. Other other than that, yeah, I agree that he he doesn't really stand out compared to the other characters. He's more of a reserved. Um, you know, character to the rest of the story. Um, the the kids that he's helping are way more colorful than he is, but he definitely has this kind of. He fits the narrative of weird, off grid, you know, strange, uh, you know, um, like uh, oddball that the rest of these investors are. So that was a uh, that that was good, and to have him be sort of a moral center too, right? Having him chastise uh, Charlie and Jamie. And be like, hey, like, you know, you're betting against 
ordinary people, right? You are hoping that ordinary people are going to get screwed. Um, for him to be the only one that really sees that, right, um, is powerful. But then for him to not care either, right, to not ever, like, think of this as a righteous cause the same way that Mark Baum does or as some, re- like, as a, um, you know, something really uh, important. Um, you know, it's just sort of another thing. Um, his jaded attitude, I find um, disquieting. Yeah, he says, just don't dance. That's just, you right. can be happy about it. Just don't be outwardly happy about it. I don't know. It was, it was a little confusing, but there you go. The the four lead men in this movie ranked the uh, you know <laughs> totally objective ranking of how they did That's in this right. film. We have ranked them correctly. <laughs> I'd say triple A, double A, B, <laughs> double B, or whatever. That's right. That's right. Christian Bale, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Brad Pitt. Um, I I do think that this movie delivers on like the promise that these are prominently uh, displayed actors in this film like it's it's a lot of star power to be able to put in a film together and i think they accomplished that yeah for sure um i want to talk a little bit about the adam mckay's unique style here because this is the third movie i think we've done for the pot for of his that we've done for the podcast um i don't know if we've vice I don't, think we've done any of those. don't look up and then now the big short yeah big short yeah so he has this very unique style for biopics and political dramas, uh, which really means that he is making some of the most interesting movies today. Um, and he has taken this very serious, very difficult subject and made it fun and easy to watch. And he's done that, I think, uh, in the exact same way for Vice and Don't Look Up. And I think that's really commendable. I'm, I'm really impressed and I'm really glad that he's making movies like this. I think that it's um, something that uh, benefits people and uh, you know makes the movie watching experience more enjoyable and more rewarding. Um, so I'm I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I, I really enjoy his editing. As I said before, I think that the music they included was great. I loved the sequence where Michael Burry is doing like you know purchasing his shorts at all the different banks, and they've got the like that money song going on in the background. All these yeah, cuts yeah. of American pop culture. I think all oh, that's good. And I, I do enjoy the, the fourth wall breaks. I think it's great. It feels like they're letting us in on their secrets. The, the characters <laughs> in the film who already know how the story is going to go are kind of beckoning for you to lean in and you know pay closer attention because they're about to let you know all the dirty little secrets, all the profane going on about the economic collapse. This isn't your, we're not just telling a story here. You're, you're getting all the dirty details. And I, I think that was, I think in a situation like this where things are so blatantly corrupt and gross, I, I think it's that much more engaging to have them be able to say, hey, take a, like, look at how ridiculous this is. Not to mention that some of this stuff is made up and some of this stuff is yeah. real and having them be able to say like, yeah, I know this is crazy, but this really did happen. Or even to say this didn't really happen this way, um, I think helps us to hopefully come away with an understanding of what really happened. Yes, which does feel like the point of it, right, is to be transparent in a way, right, to find ways of telling the truth, but still be entertaining. And I and I appreciate it for that reason. And I th- I think the fourth wall breaking and the constant reminders that this is based on a true story are sort of unnecessary. I don't think it's I don't think it really adds too much besides this kind of like you know 
this little like a uh, ticking thing and like it's like subway surfers on the side of the screen you know it's like something to keep you engaged like oh wake up wake up pay attention you know which i i don't know i find a little um condescending i, I don't think i don't like the cynicism that's inherent in the like fourth wall breaking right this is this all of this is very uh postmodern um but I think the movie is funny, and I think it's it's got these well-defined, likable characters that we've we've already talked about in depth. Uh, there's an obvious effort to launder this incredible story of greed and bureaucratic failure into something that is palatable to a wide audience, and which means taking creative liberties and making things fun. So, although I think that a lot of that stuff is pretty grating, it serves a greater purpose, one where cynicism takes on the form of comedy that masks a deep and troubling truth. It's sort of like a defense mechanism in a way, right? Where somebody jokes when they're upset, you know? And and for that reason, it feels a little more honest. It feels like Adam McKay is upset that this happened, right? Which is true. His sister actually like was affected greatly by the economic collapse. She lost her job. Um, and this was a personal story, something that like brought him out of like the goofy Will Ferrell comedies into something more serious. And although it definitely has like that goofiness to it, right? It does have this kind of like, uh, you know, lighthearted tone to it. It does feel like there's moments where he is actually upset. You know, I'm thinking about that moment where uh, our narrator, Jared, uh, voiced by Mar- uh, Ryan Gosling, says, um, oh, and then all the bankers were punished and all the banks, you know, went to jail and or like they were collapsed and broken up by the government and the government passed all these laws and stuff. And he says, just kidding. That feels like a moment of pure, like, cynicism, like a pure, like, um, I want to say hate, but like anger. Rage. That's man- right. It's been like uh, repackaged into this kind of uh, weird joke. You know, and for that reason, I really appreciate this movie as like telling a story that has like a heart to it. Um, And it isn't like this kind of corporate documentary. It is like this moment. This is this movie that's focusing on human beings and how they dealt with this weird situation. Yeah, I agree. It's one of those things where it's if we didn't if we didn't laugh, we'd cry or, you know, or just have a tantrum about how angry we are at the situation instead of just getting on screen and saying how stupid is this how frustrating is this it's like how yeah. funny is the hypocrisy here how hilarious is the the obvious corruption right and mckay is influenced by things like the daily show right he and john stewart like all of these people that use comedy to highlight injustice in our system all of that is um I think he recognizes the power that comedy can have in a tragedy like this. And I think that is really, really helpful. I think the explanations in this story are all fascinating, even if they are sometimes hard to understand. I agree with you that I think the celebrity cameos don't really um, explain as much as they should. You know, They're not as, the metaphors are not as clear. I've always thought the Margot Robbie one was super good, like, v- like very easy to understand. Even though it has nothing to do with her or the bubble bath, I still felt like I understood what she was saying very clearly. And the other ones were harder to grasp, right? It didn't really, there's like, there's little, little things that are missing from the explanations that I did not, was not able to parse, right? Um, I think simplifying this stuff is not an easy task, though. And I have faith that this was done with a fair bit of deliberation and thoughtful writing. Um, there's actually a story that Adam McKay tells about how they were test screening this movie 
and they had some of the people that were that the story is about literally show up on screen and talk about how hey this is me this is what happened or this didn't happen and ultimately he cut that stuff out because he said that the audiences like didn't know what to do with it they, it was not helpful to to the explanation so i think there was a lot of that of like discussion about how do we make this clear how do we explain this but not but don't sugarcoat it you know and I think there's an uh, inherent mugginess to this information, the acronyms, the many players at the table. It could be simpler, but I'm glad that it's not super simple. You know, I, I wish it was more clear. I'm glad it's not simpler. So much of this crisis's lead up is mired in economic jargon. Jared actually says that a lot of this is built around a system that is purposely obscured so that it makes it seem like only economists and bankers can do what they do, which is not true. Because the truth is that humans built this system, so we should be able to expect humans to understand it. Simplifying it to its most basic parts is possible, but it's not satisfying to watch, nor is it prudent to the movie's purpose. To dodge away and only give the most basic outline would to be, in, would to be to admit a defeat and to defer to the economists and bankers as our puppeteers. I think this is the beauty of the big short for me. It is a movie with a purpose. It seeks not just to entertain, but to inform, not just reflect, but plant the seeds of understanding. Because giving in and admitting it is too complicated for you to care is exactly what they want and exactly why it all fell apart. I agree. I think that is definitely a noble um, mission for a film to have, especially in a world full of financial misinformation. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, like just watching this movie on YouTube had YouTube recommending various ways that I can get rich off of investing in housing. Also saying things like now is the worst time to buy a house, but also now is the best time to buy a house. And all these, true. all these different well, gurus. Both the best time and the worst time. Yes. It is all of those things. And it's never been worse and it's never been better. <laughs> and it's also, uh, you know, you should have done this 10 years ago and also you should wait 10 years. Right. Uh, those, those are all correct uh, assertions. Well, every YouTube guru soy facing next to a graph that has like a green line going up and a red line going down with a house and the like money bag emoji. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I think I've watched enough of them now where I'm certain to be rich uh, by the end of the year. Uh, I think that may have been one of the videos like how to become a millionaire by the end of the year. So congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I appreciate that. My pre-success, congratulations. But um, yeah, so I, again, it, to have a film that's, uh, and as far as I know, well-respected for its uh, portrayal of the information, I, I at least saw reviews where economists and historians said that this movie was largely accurate. Um, I think that that is definitely a worthwhile mission for your film. Definitely. Um, there's a, according to Wikipedia, there's a guy who writes a blog called Information is Beautiful, and he said that while taking creative license into account, the film was 91.4% accurate when compared to real-life events, calling it a shockingly truthful film with very little dramatization or fakery. Um, I'm not sure what this guy's you know, uh, you know, credentials are or anything like if you know, he ranks every movie 90% accurate, but it is, uh, uh, it is very, it's very cool to see that, actually. I, I was... Uh, really um impressed with that and and honestly this movie doesn't feel like it has any room to wiggle right it feels like every time they explain something they explain it over and over again and that they 
are constantly clarifying these things. So a lot of it is just conceptual. It's like, okay, this is how it works, right? Regardless of how many people actually lost their jobs or how many houses went, you know, went up or how much money was bet or how much money was won, that's not as important as like the actual concept that was, you know, behind this, which I think is conveyed like very admirably. I agree. As far as I can tell, like seeing people like react to this movie, the only things I found was deeper explanations, not contradictory explanations. So I yes. do, again, I do feel like they succeed on the uh, educational part of it. And, um, you know, another thing, like I've said before, that I think they achieved in this film is the editing. I loved the images of American culture spliced in. Very nostalgic for me as a 90s baby. Uh, you know, I don't really <laughs> have that many memories from the 90s, but I definitely was born then. And, uh, you know, a lot of the pop culture stuff that was in this film uh, was from my childhood. And uh, it makes sense because it really does feel like this crisis was caused by American greed. We seek profit in the short term no matter who it hurts or whether or not it will hurt us in the long run. The whole system is fraudulent and so is the government that is supposed to regulate it. They privatize the gains and socialize the losses. People love capitalism because they see it as a meritocracy. If you work hard, come up with the best ideas, if you're the most productive, then you will be rewarded for that. The best people earn the most money and society progresses forward towards a glorious future. The promise of profit constantly motivates the best of the best to come up with ways to satisfy the market and make the most money possible. But the 2008 housing crisis shows that that is all a crock of shit. Stuff. Banks, businesses, they care about one thing and one thing only, their bottom line. They will do whatever they can get away with to take home the most money possible, and it will literally never be enough. Investors demand a return on investment. They want to see more profits than they saw last quarter. Infinite growth is demanded from a world with finite resources. And what is the result? Regularly occurring economic collapses. Big businesses that never save money for a rainy day know that they don't need to because when they fail, they can always just ask Uncle Sam for a bailout and they can get right back to doing what they always do. So even though our protagonists win in this movie, there is no catharsis. We learn nothing from this crisis. The bad guys didn't get their comeuppance and us regular people will still be required to pay up next time this happens. It makes you wonder if there's a better way to do this. Hmm. I can't think of a single way. I think this is the only way it works. I'm so glad you mentioned uh, regular economic collapses because that is true. It's like, uh, like I wouldn't say clockwork, but every 10, 15 years or so, the economy collapses. Um, <laughs> it's already happened twice this uh, century. It's it's not uncommon. And it's uh, it's one of these things where like, we all act like it's supposed to work this way when it's not actually uh, working that well. And there's all these tools that are available that are not used by our financial system uh, because they're afraid of, you know, uh, being seen as too, um, being too involved in the system, right? Uh, being too, um, uh, having too much regulation on this. When in fact, the only way it works at all is if you have guidelines, if you have rules that people have to follow, and you enforce those rules and keep people in check. Otherwise, it ends up, you know, making uh, a huge, huge mess. So, 
I don't really understand how, I don't really understand how like it's so poorly regulated. You know, I, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for these people and I don't understand how uh, we even really got to this space. You know, I think a lot of that is very complicated, uh, but it's like, the fact is that we're here and it's been like this for it was it's been like this for a long time it's been like this for a long time since 2000 or before 2008 but this is the moment that a lot of like the world changed you know i think that there were like three big things that happened between 2001 or 2000 the year 2000 and 2010 that disenfranchised people's uh, people and made them believe that there actually was no uh saving grace and that we are in fact in the midst of a empire in collapse the first thing was 2001 uh the the, the 9-11 attacks and then the resulting war that happened after that that lasted for more than 18 years then uh katrina i think was a huge uh like natural disaster. Uh, we had a lot of natural disasters during this time, but Katrina was a particularly nasty one that completely destroyed Los, uh, um, New Orleans. New Orleans. Uh, I was going to say um, Los Angeles. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it uh, and in a way that uh, they're still re- trying to recover from. And then there is this, uh, where, uh, and the result, uh, and the resulting, you know, uh, what's it, uh, economic and political fallout which was occupy wall street and which transformed into the tea party uh which transformed uh into this uh current system we have today where people have completely lost any faith in the government and have now and has effect completely lost their minds there is there's people on both sides of this of this you know collapse some of them believe that uh fascism is the way forward and that we need some sort of military intervention to take over and install someone as our god emperor um, and other people believe that the whole system needs to be torn down and rebuilt uh in their image uh, whether that is communism or socialism or something else uh something uh neither of these things are uh welcome you know neither of these things are um something that anybody really wants you know you don't really want a um a system that is completely overhauled you really want something that's going to gradually change toward the better and we have yet to see that really happen either so it becomes increasing more increasingly more likely that one of these more extreme alternatives will occur and this is like this was a huge moment for so many people because they realized that that this was always going to happen and that there was nothing they could do about it and that there would be no consequence for it. Right. And that the world that they thought they lived in is actually far darker than they expected. So I was, uh, you know, I'm impressed that this movie like kind of, uh, you know, showed all these, these pieces helped to inform, but it ultimately shirks away from that ultimate political reality. Right. I think that so much of our current, like system and the way that people think and the culture war and all of that can stem back to 2008 and these events um, and in showing how they uh, affected so many different Americans and made them believe that there was nothing to believe in anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. depressing. I, I really don't know. <laughs> um, I guess I, I'm glad that the movie lands on that point. I think it would be disingenuous for the movie to have some sort of hope at the end where they're like, but then, you know, right. people saw right. this movie and you can like go and fix this. But um, 
Yeah. I mean, I guess I appreciate its blatant honesty that this is really messed up. Well, it's nice to have something that tells the truth. And it's nice something to have something that um, it, like doesn't treat you like a complete idiot, right? It gives you the, the information you need to understand what this is. And then for you to you know hopefully apply that into the future, right? I don't think you can call any movie like truly like, you know, seeing a movie is not necessarily an act of political courage in any sort of way, right? <laughs> it is simply entertainment. But it, this movie has a slightly, it, like, takes entertainment and, and makes it into something that is informative too, which I think is very helpful. So I'm glad it doesn't overstate itself. I'm glad it doesn't try to take a political position here because ultimately, uh, you know, when this movie comes out, came out versus the uh, political fallout later is com- uh, completely un. Uh, I wouldn't say completely untoward, but like would be completely out of date, you know. Uh, when did this movie come out? 2015. 2015. Yeah, 2015. Remember what was happening in 2015? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So honestly, it, in my political life, there is before 2016 and after 2016. Like same. That's it's like same is true for me. Yeah, everything it, so, changed. Any any advice this movie was going to offer to us about what to do about this would be. It would be laughable, right? So it's, um, I'm glad it doesn't take that stance. I'm glad it just, it stays in its lane in that regard, right? And I, I hope that, like, if people come away from watching this movie, they come away with a more skeptical and better understanding of our financial system, one where they will, uh, or, a, or at least a curiosity about our financial system that will lead to them, you know, not falling into the same traps that so many people did uh, before this collapse. Uh, yeah, some real like impact on my life from this film, besides living through it. Um, you know, we experienced some economic hardship ourselves in, the, in my household growing up. Uh, nothing too bad, but like, you know, this touched everybody's lives. But when yeah. I went to buy a house in 2022... I was required to sign a document that said I had received uh, references or, or like a recommendation to uh, get homeowners like training or go through homeowner mm. counseling, which is basically like a government or, or it might be privatized, but like the government will provide you with someone who will teach you how to own a house and tell you everything about like having a mortgage and uh, what, like what that means. And the, and when I was signing that, my lawyer was like, yeah, this is for, this is because of 2008. And I was like, Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I guess something came out of it. Hopefully people aren't doing, you know, some of the stuff that you hear about with those douchey mortgage brokers, which by the way, right. they casted those guys perfectly oh yeah they're they're such douchebags um (laughs) you know because people just didn't even know the first thing about what they were buying right yeah and that's the thing is like there is this movie doesn't focus on it and i'm glad that it doesn't but there is some blame to put on the average american that bought one of these mortgages without understanding what what they were doing you know these variable interest rate things were very predatory but it was also a um, resp- it was also clearly laid out to them, right? They they should have been had a, they should have had a uh, a better understanding. But then there's like there's people like uh, the, probably the most powerful moment in the movie is when they find that uh, guy with his daughter in that abandoned um, like neighborhood where they built all these giant houses and there nobody's living in them, and they find the alligator in the pool. Yeah, it was Pretty hilarious. Uh, but yeah, they they find 
uh, this guy and they're like, Hey, what's going on? Like, uh, you know, have you been paying your mortgage? He's like, I've been paying my rent. Has my landlord not been paying my mortgage? No. Has my landlord's dog not been <laughs> paying my mortgage? Like it's, it's horrifying to realize just like it, it all brings us crashing down. And, um, I'm really glad that they included that in the movie. I wish there was a little bit more of that kind of thing, because I think that is ultimately the legacy, right? Of this collapse is those ordinary people who got totally screwed over. Um, and people like that, where they had no idea what the situation was that they were even putting themselves into, it's obviously not their fault. But these guys that, you know, these landlords or the, even like that stripper that they talked to who, who are, have all these mortgages set up or have all these houses that they can't afford to pay for is, um, is ultimately uh, some of that ownership falls on them, right? Some of that uh, responsibility falls on, on them. And that's what's so important about, you know, living in a society like this is that, like, you have to have citizens that are willing and able to be informed, right? That uh, can understand the complexity of this, this, uh, this kind of historic system and um, are willing to listen and willing to take on that responsibility and, re- and realize what they're doing. Um, I, I think that it's hard, to, um, it's hard to say that we are a responsible citizens- like, citizenry. Uh, with a straight face, you know what I mean? Agreed. Um, but at the same time, there's so much to have to understand. It, it, like, it is very frustrating that our government allows these kind of predatory yes, financial practices is, to even exist. I'm not saying that it doesn't fall entirely on No, them, yeah, right? I agree. It's I'm like, not trying to like uh, counter your statement. It just reminds me of so many examples of times where as an american being poor is much more expensive than being rich because there's all of these businesses that are built up to take advantage of people who are in a financially tough situation the easiest example is uh you know these cash now uh paycheck advance kind of um, payday loans payday loan places where they just absolutely destroy you with interest it is it is or should be criminal to do the things that they do at those um uh, at those payday loan places and the only people that go to those places are people that need the money right if you don't need the money you would never go to one of these places getting a loan you would go somewhere else um like because banks also give you loans if you have good enough credit right. right so these people are desperate and they are um been screwed over at some point in their lives right whether it was a bad decision on their part or someone else's part and now they are in a situation where they will drown in financial um you know uh, because in financial like uh debt or or something akin to that uh, because they these companies will take advantage of them. And the the yeah. stripper is an example of somebody who's being just wildly reckless, getting right. all of these different uh, properties. But here's the thing. I don't know a single person who can just get out of the um, housing market. Someone who's like, you know what? I'm going to decide not to live anywhere. That, I think right. it'll save me money to just not live anywhere. That's not an <laughs> option. And again, something like this brings into question whether or not we should commodify housing. Uh, I know that that is a... I honestly... It's hard for me to even imagine a world where we don't commodify housing because this is the world I grew up in. But it's something that kind of feels contradictory that we're saying you you have to survive this predatory market to have something that you absolutely must have. Yes, it's inelastic demand. And like, like everyone needs somewhere to live, right? This is one of those basic 
um, you know, tenets of like of human life, right? Is <laughs> is a shelter, and um, the fact that this is such an expensive and you know it ties you to a like a, a, a institution for probably your entire life, right? And if you ever fall behind, then you end up in like this you know struggling, uh, like very predatory situation. It um, it's horrifying, and uh, only some people get away with it like only some people are able to to actually like survive that and that portion of the of the economy or that portion of the population is shrinking every day you know it's becoming harder and harder to own a house and uh the the middle class is shrinking and becoming either richer or poorer to the point where they can no longer afford even the most basic things that acquire that are a tenet of the American dream, right? I just read an article today about um, Gen Z and housing and how they, they actually, like, these reporters called up a bunch of people that were slightly younger than us um, asking them about their housing situations. And th- when they asked, some of the people, when they asked them if they would ever own a home, just laughed at these people, uh, <laughs> at the reporters, because it's just not feasible, you know? It's a, it's a completely uh, horrifying thing. There was a woman that they interviewed who's spending 75% of her income on rent, um, which is uh, just a horrifying situation. She really should do something about that. Um, and lots of people are living with, you know, roommates and with other and the, like finding partners to to shack up with and or moving in with their parents you know i think there's something to be said about generational housing maybe that's a uh um you know a, a nice thing that we should be doing but not in this way you know it should not be forced upon us um so yeah i it's it's the one thing probably that keeps me up at night more than anything is if i was no longer able to afford my mortgage you know what would i end up doing how would i end up surviving and it's a um it's something that uh will hang over me for the next what uh 29 years <laughs> <laughs> well joey if you ever are able to get past that and fall asleep um it's a good thing that this movie provides you with a little bit of nightmare fuel uh so that you can have nightmares if you are asleep because they've got michael burry looking into the future at the next economic bubble and it's water he's looking at the right. next the next housing crisis is going to be water and if that comes to pass, I really hope I'm not around for it. I, that is going to be chaos. That's going to be Mad Max if we have to try to kill each other to get some water. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of systems like this. I think, I've also heard the same thing about um, uh, cars, right? Uh, because we are such a car-centric um, economy. Um, it's also a requirement to have a car, to maintain a car, um, and uh, the, it's becoming more and more expensive to own a car, especially a new car. And uh, unlike a house, where a house is actually like something that uh, is an investment that might grow, cars uh, do not. <laughs> <laughs> they are not. They are terrible investments, actually. Um, so this is uh, a you know, there's, there's, I think it's not just that, right? I think there's a lot of different aspects of our economy that are built on um, necessity, um, and they are regulated by or unregulated, and are controlled by um, large corporations that only survive because people um, have to keep paying for it. Right. Uh, same thing is true for the pharmaceutical industry. Right. They make medicine. Medicine. I'm a fan of medicine. Love medicine. Actually, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'll take medicine all day. 
uh, but I will. Um, I hate that like these these places benefit and from people's uh, uh, you know need to live. Right, <laughs> the choice between paying to live and dying is not a choice, um, and the fact that it's even framed that way is horrifying. Uh, we really do live in a dystopia uh, of uh, a cyberpunk dystopia uh, because of that, and it's. Uh, um, I I wish that we could uh, somehow break that in some way you know have you have you seen the you've seen that meme where it's captain barbosa and he's got like tech goggles on and it's like you best start believing in tech dystopias because you're in one (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing yeah well you know we live in a world of of uh systems of oppression right all of these oppression all these systems are out there and uh, some of them are built really well. Some of them are half built. Some of them are ill-conceived from the beginning, you know. And um, so we, they're like, everything is sort of this fight about like how much is this institution going to screw me over, and how much power are we going to continue to give it to allow us to screw us over in the future, right? It feels like um, it's possible that we could move out of this, right? It feels like it's possible we could change this, but. This movie posits this idea of like this obscurity in a way that I think is very compelling. And it makes it, I mean, this is like the purpose of journalism is to bring things to light, right? To talk about things that nobody is paying attention to so that there's a chance that somebody with enough power will change it. Um, I keep thinking about Guantanamo Bay when I'm thinking about this movie and about this concept. We have this black site prison that breaks international law. Uh, It exists in the fringes and completely out of the public eye. Its goal is to strike fear across the globe and for Americans to get away with crimes against humanity. It's striking how easy it is for this thing to just exist and for so many people to know about it and to believe it is wrong. And yet, because it's off the mainland, because it's so hard to get to and to report on, it survives. Always in the background, almost never in the foreground. What's frustrating is learning about Guantanamo Bay and realizing that its tactics work beautifully, even though I know it's there, even though I know what happens there. It's not enough for it to occupy my attention or my concern. It is simply out of sight and out of mind. It's, it's the, that, that principle perfectly encapsulated. The manipulation of assets by bankers and their like also benefit from being out of sight and out of mind. The, the more complicated it gets, the less people follow it and the easier it is to do crimes and defraud the public. But unlike Guantanamo Bay, the economy is all around us. We know it. We are sensitive to it. And yet, people try to hide it in plain sight, obscuring and deceiving. We have to make sh- that harder to do. We have to be more actively aware and more willing to understand. So when people steal your pension or your savings, they are punished, not rewarded. Yeah, dude. Uh waterboarding in guantanamo bay you know uh yeah. that's uh Hang 10. yeah uh yeah the, the, <laughs> one of our presidential candidates actually uh participated in that i don't know if you knew that uh wow what a total uh island boy <laughs> <laughs> truly yeah it's it's um especially because we're already everyone is so busy with their private lives it's already hard enough to deal with the blatant hypocrisies that hit us in the face every day. Um, And when you're able to obscure it behind something, well, I'm just too darn busy with my everyday life to commit any more processing power to this. 
I saw I saw this meme. It was like a Duke Nukem or something, and he he says essentially, um, I don't care if aliens are real. What are they going to do? Pay my rent? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like I, yeah, exactly. It's and this is like another form of the oppression, right? It's just if you're distracted, if you're always like watching out for yourself, and you never have a chance to, um, you know, make any sort of improvements. Uh, to anything you you don't believe your community is going to watch out for you then you uh you have no reason to pay attention you know you have no reason to care because you're already starting to drown there's a um hilarious bit from trevor moore of the whitest kids you know um r.i.p uh trevor moore but they had a um like spokesperson for the president the um what do you call that the Uh, the press secretary the press secretary thank you the press secretary is talking to the press and it's like uh you know today we had uh a like meeting on like one of the moons of jupiter where the galactic uh, like magicians uh have announced uh that they're going to do a trade with like the space goblins and the lizard people of you know quadrant nine and all the press uh are taking it seriously asking questions about it and he's like going on about this fantastical thing and it's like whoa it's like yeah we can confirm there are aliens then and, and all this stuff and then towards the end of the bit one of the reporters goes wait a minute did we invade Afghanistan today? And he's like, oh, you got me. Yeah, that is what happened today. Like, we were just making this up to distract you. And it's hilarious that that's, like, literally happening now. You know, like, I've heard pundits be like, hey, aliens are real. Didn't even flinch. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. On to the next thing. You know, how does this impact my day to day? It is is like that, right? It is this, it, it largely... I feel like there's a lot of these distractions that go on, but you have to like also recognize what might not be a distraction too. I don't know. It's just this. It's this. It's this uh, form of media media literacy that is necessary to exist in our t- in today's world. Uh, but it's also this like horrifying reality of this bureaucratic system that continues to chug along, you know, churning through money and blood without any sort of accountability. Just peachy. Uh. <laughs> yes. Uh, whatever. You know, I had to think about it, so now you have to think that's about right, it. That's right. That's right. That's that's my motto. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're ready to move on to our cool Easter eggs. Do you agree with that assessment? Yes. All right. Let's do it then, Joey. What do you got? I found this interview with Vox.com that Adam McKay did that I thought was very interesting. Um, there's this question that one, that the interviewer asked him, which I will read now. I realized about halfway through the movie that I was sort of rooting for the economy to fail because I wanted these guys to succeed, which is a horrible reaction to have. How did you deal with balancing that out? And Adam McKay responded, I actually don't think that's as bad as it sounds because you're rooting for some shred of truth. You're rooting for math. You're rooting for there to be some justice. Theoretically, that's the way the market's supposed to work. There are bad investments and then there are counter investments. That this is an interesting way to frame this, and ultimately, you know, I think this is what uh, Mark Baum sort of falls onto, right? He, uh, he believes that there should be some accountability here. He believes that there should be some injustice, and he's horrified that that's not true. And yeah, I I, I think that it's easy to root for this because um, you already know it already happened, right? You already know that it's going to collapse, right? And all these people are going to be affected. But at least somebody that like actually um cares one right at least somebody made it out uh unscathed and it's it's easy for us to have heroes that 
even though they're not us, uh, you know, rep- like uh, we feel like we can believe in. And so this is a, it was kind of an extension of that, right? And I think it is smart that McKay uh, uh, um, makes this uh, analogy or, or frames it in this way so that you have someone to root for in this, you know, uh, dystopian um, story. No, yeah, I agree. I, it's, yeah, it's a silver lining, if anything, to be able to say <laughs> good when right. the entire economy At least something is wor- At least something worked the way it's supposed to. You know what I mean? Um, also, I thought I, I found this. I thought you would find this interesting. Um, Adam Davidson of Planet Money, um, he actually worked with Adam McKay on the script for this movie. Um, and he was asked about the uh, statistic that Brad Pitt's character recites in the casino, uh, which is for every 1%, uh, um, the unemployment goes up, 40,000 people die. And uh, this is a very difficult thing to um to confirm apparently according to davidson he says that it is largely true you can't link it specifically but it does and it also depends on your time frame there's actually evidence that shows that in the short term people actually die less or mortality goes down uh when unemployment goes down because people are less active in the economy meaning you know they are not driving um they are staying home or you know not in a a workplace that might be poisoning or killing them, right? They are so in that regard, uh, it's possible that the mortality goes down. But in the long term view, like the if you look at the trend, you know, showing how much uh, the how much employment unemployment there was for that year versus how many people died and like excess deaths, you can link that in that way, and you will see that it is uh, largely true. Actually, um, so he said that when. Um, there was that collapse, right? There was a, uh, uh, like 200,000 people probably lost their lives and that can be attributed to the economy failing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I I love planet money. They, uh, you know, know outside of their (laughs) ability to fact check Adam McKay films, they also have a fantastic TikTok account or reels account, however you consume your uh, unending vertical uh, video feed of video vertical video yeah it, it's they're, fit, they're pretty good so uh check out planet money so um a couple of easter eggs from me so a- after christian bale met with the real dr michael burry he asked to have burry's cargo shorts and t-shirt which he then <laughs> wore in the movie wow. which i felt like it was really obvious he looked kind of like <laughs> weird wearing that very, stuff yeah it was kind of schlubby guy yeah uh bale later said he hoped burry would make it to the film's la premiere quote because i really want to sit next to him and see if he's going to punch me in the fucking face <laughs> which i think is great because <laughs> sort of mirrors what he said about dick cheney right he's like i was trying to play someone i was trying to, I, was, I was channeling the devil because i wanted to play someone so evil <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, you know, continuing off of this idea of them playing real life people, the character Mark Baum was based on real life money manager Steve Eisman. Jared Vennett was based on real life trader Greg Lipman. Ben Rickert was based on Ben Hockett. Charlie Geller and Jamie Shipley were based on Charlie Ledley and Jamie Mai. I actually watched a like interview or like a, a portion of an interview with Steve Eisman. 
way less interesting than Steve Carell. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know if the renaming even matters as much because obviously it's one Google away from finding out who these people really represent. Yeah, it's weird because they like, like the events are very accurate, but like the names aren't. I don't understand why that, like why that matters. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe they think maybe people will just get too lazy and they're like, eh. I, I um, mean, any, <laughs> any, right, any obstacle uh, represents like, you know, something people like being obscured. So like it, I kind of understand that, but still, um, I did, I did read that Steve Iceman said that, uh, Mark Baum was accurate. If you only, t- uh, took his anger, right? Like if he was, if he was a purely angry person, then Mark Baum would have been a good representation of him. So a little criticism there for Steve Carell. Sure. <laughs> um, in the special features of the Blu-ray, director Adam McKay revealed that he wrote the role of Jared Bennett only with Ryan Gosling in mind, uh, which I think comes across pretty well. Yeah, he's good. He's really good in that role. He he does kind of... Uh, he's low-key literally me in this role <laughs> as Jared Bennett. And um, <laughs> finally, The Wolf of Wall Street and The Big Short, both of which include Margot Robbie, saw a resurgence of popularity in early 2021 when a short squeeze of the stock of the American video game retailer GameStop and other securities took place, causing major financial consequences for certain hedge funds and large losses for short sellers. Uh, I think we can all remember when this was going on with the diamond hands and yeah. everyone suddenly thinking that they understand shorts. <laughs> I mean, I'm wearing shorts. Does that count? I'm wearing that Dr. Michael Murray's shorts. That is the level of understanding that I think a lot of people went into this with, and they ended up losing a lot of money. Again, the GameStop stocks situation was another example of when big cor- like banks are doing something stupid they get caught on it right. but then they're able to flip it and it becomes their advantage once again because everybody started investing in GameStop after that but by that point by the time everyone found out about it they had already changed their position so that they could benefit from people shorting it not the uh and not continue to be taken advantage of people thought they were going to actually topple giant hedge funds uh with this which i appreciate the sentiment but again they eventually ended up holding the bag when the people who had this great idea early on had already gotten out a long time ago did you did you know that a lot of people invest invested in cryptocurrency scams knowing that they were ponzi scams or ponzi schemes but um, under the impression that they could be part of the rug pool they thought that they could get out before they were screwed over by the people that like did this right <laughs> because in a ponzi scheme some people uh, you know actually do make money some people actually do like make it out okay and um some people would knowingly invest in scams because they um thought that they could you know they were immune from being scammed essentially um and i can't help but feel like a lot of this retail trading and you know just kind of this this kind of mentality that uh that went into or comes out of the GameStop situation is very similar to that of like I am smart enough not to get messed up in this you know like I can get out the, I know when to get out at the right time you know I know how to uh you know I'm, I can pay close enough attention that I can make it out and even though I know this is wrong or I know that this is not going to be a sustainable thing, I can still make money off of it. Yeah. Yeah, the worst part for me 
was people with audiences tricking their audience into right. investing. The the influencer will say being the person who is part of the rug pull. Right. But they're pulling the rug out from underneath people who trust them, people who look up to them, people who they make their living off of anyways was just so dishonest. It's, you know, this Hollywood A-listers who didn't know what the heck they were talking about. There's still that quote of Tom Brady saying FTX is the safest marketplace for <laughs> cryptocurrency floating around there. It's like, wow, what a, what a moron in retrospect. And, yeah, but uh, he's just a spokes guy. Right, you know exactly. I mean? So it's hard to get mad at him. But, you know, especially being involved in like Twitch stuff and, you know, just general internet culture. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, there's this fascinating, I don't know how much, do you, you know who CoffeeZilla is on yes. YouTube? Yes. He's awesome videos. He's so, he's great. Um, he did a whole series about Logan Paul and his like uh, cryptocurrency scheme. And what was amazing about that was that before uh, Logan could pull the rug, some other guy got in and pulled the rug first. Um, so it's just, it's just amazing actually to see like the depth of this, this thing. And yeah, the, those guys are, are pure scum. And there's so many of them that actually, that coffee will actually find interview and say, Hey, um, uh, we know that you did this. And they're like, so what are you going to do about it? You know, <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Exactly. I, I have the money. What am I going to, what are you going to do? going to make me give it back? How exactly? You know? So it's just a, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the thing. Here's the, here's what I think. And I, I ran across this idea in a video I watched a, a, like a few weeks ago. Um, which is that in a post-capitalist like world, right? In, in a world that is late-stage capitalism, where we're all sort of you know, starting to feel the effects of an oligarchy, um, scams are one of the only real businesses left. Um, <laughs> you can't actually... There is nothing else to, to do, right? Besides move money around. And the only way that you can survive is if you start scamming people. Um, and this is sort of true for like, uh, you, know, you know, developing countries where um, you have lots of people that are like hawking wares on the streets, right? It's a very similar mindset of like, I need to fill, like feed my family. I need to, you know, pay my mortgage. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And I happen to be able to trick lots of people into thinking my thing is, uh, is one thing when it's not, right? And um, yeah, so I think the prevalence of scams is evidence of our system collapsing on itself and the fact that it never was that stable to begin with. Yes, the uh, emerging uh, field of being a full-time bridge salesman exactly. uh, is a yes. sign of the time. This is here. a, yes, it's the, you go, you go to school uh, to learn how to scam people. Um, now it's, it's the only American enterprise. The only true American enterprise is how to, is scamming. Um, so, well, that's definitely uh, a cheerful place to end our conversation <laughs> on <laughs> the big short. Uh, but I, you know, I, I'm happy with this conversation. I don't think we, uh, you know, scammed each other out of our time. I think we got a lot done here, uh, <laughs> but we'll wrap it up the way we always wrap it up. As we do on every episode of Affable chat, we will deliver our ratings for the big short. Joey, what rating do you want to give to this movie? I'm going to give you a bit of financial advice. Um, in the financial sector, nobody knows if you are a dog that owns a mortgage. 
ah, wow, I'm writing this down. This could change everything for my portfolio. Um, I The rating I'm going to give to this movie is, I give this movie 700 billion taxpayer dollars to prop up those poor, troubled banks that would have collapsed during the 2008 market crash if Uncle Sam hadn't stepped in. So I'm really glad that we were all able to cobble together and, you know, do socialize the yes. uh, the issue and yes. save the banks and get them back to those CEO bonuses uh, that we were, you know we all think is well deserved and an appropriate way yes, right. to spend uh, their money. So I'm just definitely they shouldn't save that money for the next time they have a crisis. They should just give huge bonuses to CEOs. Um, I think we all agree on that. Yep. So there you have it, the Big Short. Uh, as sarcastically as we can put it. Uh, Joey, what is next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing uh, Being John Malkovich. We are starting our Charlie Kaufman series. Benjamin has been hesitant, but I am forcing him to watch four Charlie Kaufman movies in a row. In a row, right, yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Maybe I'll be a changed man in a month, but this is going to be all in That's right. Kaufman. That's right. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Affablechat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. That's where you can find the latest from us and all of our social media accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all of which are at Affablechat, and even our email address, Affablechat at gmail.com. Unlike those CDOs, Affable Chat is full of quality content all the way down. We may have a fixed interest rate of 0%, but your interest in our podcast will go to the moon. So consider <laughs> investing today. Buy now. Buy now. Do Buy not now. sell. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.